Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is a message brought to our church by a guest speaker. We hope that it is a blessing to you, and we would love to hear how God has used it in your life. Take your Bible. Let's go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. Isaiah and the 40th chapter with me, if you will. I'm going to read just a few verses, starting at verse 6 down to verse 9. And then, if you will, keep your Bible open to this passage as we'll look at several other verses in just a moment. Isaiah chapter 40. And let's look at verse number 6 and read down to verse 9. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. When I was 10 years old, I was riding in the back seat of our car, my mom and dad in the front, and my sister and I in the back. We stopped at a stoplight in Watertown, Wisconsin. We were traveling west on Main Street, and we stopped at a stoplight, and as we were sitting there waiting for the light to change, I peered over the front seat of the car, and I noticed a bumper sticker on the back of the car in front of us. It was kind of an ugly green bumper sticker with black letters. It had three, three words. God is dead. God is dead. Throughout my teen years in the 60s, I remember seeing that bumper sticker nearly every day of my life. God is dead. I learned later that that particular line of thinking had come out of Germany, fostered by a philosopher named Friedrich Nietzsche, who believed that God had once lived, but now had died. Adolf Hitler drew most of his thinking from this philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche believed that when God died, all absolutes, all values, all facts died with him. God is dead. And today we see the ramification of that thinking in America. 23% of our country now claims to be atheist. Our country today has taken God out of our schools and out of the marketplace and out of the conversations and even out of some of our churches. God is still a fairly common curse word, but that's about the only time we hear of him as we've removed God from our society. If I were to ask you to take a piece of paper this morning and a writing instrument, And I were to say, write down a definition of God. How would you define him? What would you write? Who is God? 
Now, when you get that finished, we must ask ourselves a question. Does God believe in my God? Because if you go out on the streets of Moses Lake this morning and you just ask that simple question of people, who is God, you're going to get a variety of answers. There's a lot of definitions today about who God is. But does God believe in our God? Who is God to you? Is he alive in your life? Did you talk to him this week? Did you allow him to talk to you? Did you think about him? Did you talk with anybody else about him? How alive is God in our life? You know, we get away from a proper definition of God when we get away from the word of God. Because God is not who our culture paints him out to be. God is not even who I think he is. God is defined in his word. Isaiah said in chapter 8 and verse 20, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. Jeremiah said in chapter 8 and verse 9, the wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they've rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them. You see, we don't have the right answers to our questions if those answers are not coming from the word of God. Jesus said in Matthew 22 and verse 29, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Now Isaiah chapter 40 is a wonderful definition by God of himself. So let's dive into it this morning. I want you to see first of all that God is above all. Would you look at verse 12 with me? And let me read a little bit here. In verse number 12, it says, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? With whom took he counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment? And taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted him less than nothing and vanity. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman melteth the graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation, chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them and they shall wither. And the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? 
Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their hosts by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. God is above all. When we go to try to describe God, when we try to define God, everything that we would look at, everything that we would describe, God created. God made. God created the heavens and the earth. In six days, the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Job said in chapter 9 and verse 1, I know it is so of a truth, but how can a man be just with God? If he contend with him, he cannot answer him one in a thousand. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? which removeth the mountains and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger, which shaketh the earth out of her place and the pillars thereof tremble, which calleth Arcturus and Orion and Pallades and the chambers of the south, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. Job said in chapter 12 and verse 7, Ask now the beasts and they'll tell thee. Speak to the earth, it'll teach thee. The fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee. Yea, who knoweth not that in all these the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, in whose hand hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah prays this prayer. There's none holy as the Lord, for there's none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more, succeeding proudly. Let not arrogancy go out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him are actions weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken. They that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased. For the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. For the Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up again. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar out of the dunghill to set them among princes, that they may inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the worlds upon them. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them until they be destroyed. For by strength shall no man prevail. God is above all. We have a solar system that is six billion miles across. We live in a galaxy called the Milky Way. No one knows where it got that name. I think it was when the cow jumped over the moon. That's probably when they named it. But the Milky Way, according to science, is shaped like a giant bowl. If you were to be able to step back in the universe and look at the Milky Way from a distance, it would look like a giant bowl or a giant dish. If you could get on one end of this galaxy called the Milky Way, and you could travel at the speed of light which is 186,282 miles per second. If you could travel at the speed of light, it would take you 100,000 years to cross this galaxy called the Milky Way. Scientists estimate there are 100 million galaxies like ours in the universe. 60 million solar systems. And our God is above all. 
The earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. It's 25,000 miles around this planet. The sun is 1,300,000 times bigger than the earth. The sun is the nearest star. The next nearest star is 26 trillion miles away. The supernova, which was recently discovered, has 10 septillion. Now, we're getting into the big numbers now. If you're taking notes, start way over on the left side of your page because 10 septillion is a 10 with 24 zeros after it. The supernova has 10 septillion times more energy in it than the hydrogen bomb. You see why David walked out one night and he said, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their lines go out to the ends of the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Did you see what he said about the nations here in chapter 40? In verse 15 he says, Behold the nations, there's a drop of a bucket. And are counted as the small dust of the balance. In Bible days, when they would measure something, when they would weigh something, they used a, 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 a scale like we would use to, to illustrate our judicial system in America. You've seen the, the judicial balance scale, the post in the middle, the arms coming across, the chains coming down, and the plates. It represents our judicial system in America. Well, in Bible days, that's what they used to measure things. If you went into a market and you said, I'd like a pound of flour... The merchant would take out the scale. He would place a one-pound weight on one side of it. And on the other side, as the scale would tip in that direction, he would pour the flour. And once the balance scale was equal or even, you knew you had a pound of flour. Now, if the merchant didn't like you, if he wanted to rip you off, he would reach under his counter, and instead of pulling out a 16-ounce weight he pulled out a 15-ounce weight, and he put it on the scale. You thought he was placing a one-pound weight there, but he was going to cheat you. So he put that 15-ounce weight there, pour in the flour, and you went home paying for a, a pound of flour, but you only got 15 ounces. That's why the book of Proverbs says, divers' weights, many weights, are an abomination unto the Lord. See, God wants us to be honest with one another. We're supposed to treat people fairly. Quit ripping people off, is what he was saying. Divers' weights are an abomination. So there were merchants that were crooked, and they would cheat the people. Now, if a merchant wanted to prove his honesty to you, before he put anything on that scale, he would reach in his pocket, he would take out a small cloth, and he would wipe the dust off of the balance. Now, dust doesn't weigh anything. But he was symbolizing his honesty to you. Before he placed a weight there or any flour, he would wipe that scale clean of all the dust so that you knew you got an accurate measurement. It was symbolic. And that's the illustration that God uses here to describe the nations. They are as the dust of the balance. In verse 17, he says, All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted to him less than nothing. Put that same balance scale in your mind up here. And over here on this side of the scale, God says, Put all the nations of the world, put them all over here on this side. 
All the superpowers, the United States and Russia and China, all these, these supersized countries, and, and then take the medium-sized nations, India and, and, and Japan and Korea and, and Brazil, put them all over here, put all the little tiny nations, and take all of their resources, all of their military muscle, all of their wealth, all of their power, put it all over here on this side of the scale. And then over on this side, put me, God says. And compared to me, they're below zero. Less than nothing. So where does that put me? Well, verse 22, he says, the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. You see, God is above all. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the sides of the north, the city of that great king. God is the true God. He's the living God. He's an everlasting king. But notice, secondly, God is not only above all. God is aware of all. It's easy for us to fall into a trap here. Because when you think about God and all of his magnificence, all of his power, all of his omniscience, it's easy to think, well, God doesn't care about me. I mean, a God that magnificent, that awesome, that powerful, he doesn't care about me. There's 8.4 billion people on the planet. He doesn't know about my problems. He doesn't care about my aches and pains. He doesn't worry about my prayer requests. I mean, God is too big to worry about me. He doesn't, he doesn't know if I'm saved or not. He doesn't know if I'm his child or not. I mean, how could he possibly know that? How could he possibly care about that? God doesn't care about my burdens, my prayer requests, the, the things that, that ache in my heart. God doesn't know about my prop. But you know what? We're wrong. We're wrong. Look at verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There's no searching of his understanding. God is aware of all. God knows all about us. There's nothing hidden from God. Matter is made up of the atom. Atoms make up matter. The atom is so small you can't even see it in a microscope. You're seeing only the reflection of the atom. In fact, science tells us that if you took 100,000 atoms and you lined them up in a single file line next to each other, the distance of 100,000 atoms would cross the width of a human hair. Yet inside each one of those tiny little atoms is at least a proton, a neutron, and an electron. Guess who put them there? God. You see, God is not just the God of the big things. God is God of the details. And though God is magnificent and powerful and almighty, he cares about every detail of our life. Our earth is tilted on its axes. Whenever you see a globe, it's always, it's always tilted, isn't it? 
You go to the school or the library, wherever they got this globe there of the world, and it's on this stand, and it's, it's tilted on its axis. Do you know that, that they tell us that our earth is tilted at an exact degree of angle in space? In fact, if you were to move this earth just one degree, one direction from its present tilt, we would all burn up. If you were to tilt it the other direction just one degree, we'd all freeze to death. So our earth is tilted at this exact degree of angle in space so that life can inhabit this planet. Now that globe at the library or at the school, it's on a stand. There's something holding it there. You go up to it, give it a spin, it goes around, it's kind of fun to do. It's on a stand. It, it, it remains at that angle because the stand is holding it there. But the Bible says in Job 26, 7, he, stretches, he stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. <laughs> so our earth is tilted at this exact degree of angle in space, but it's hanging on nothing. And while you just think about that for a minute, it's tilted at this exact degree of angle, it's hanging on nothing, it's also spinning. Once every 24 hours. Exactly once every 24 hours. And while it's tilted at this exact degree of angle, hanging on nothing, spinning every 24 hours, it's also revolving around the sun. Details. Details. I don't know if we'll see the moon tonight when we go out after church. But the moon is situated in an exact proximity to our earth. In fact, I'm told if our moon was just 100 miles further away from the earth, we'd have no tides. And if we had no tides, we'd have no seasons, no fall, winter, spring, summer. And if the moon was situated just 100 miles closer to the earth... Huh, We'd have no land. We'd be covered with water. Details. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them does not fall to the ground without your heavenly Father. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Not one bird in this entire world will die today that God does not attend the funeral. Not one. The very hairs of your head are numbered. It doesn't say God knows how many hairs are in your head. It says he has them all numbered. Every whisker hair, every eyelash hair, every eyebrow hair, every hair on top of my head, God has a number on it. And you don't think he knows about your hurts? You don't think he knows what's on your heart that's a burden? You don't think that he cares about your spiritual condition? You don't think that he's seeking you as a lost sheep and wants you to come to himself as, your, as his as Savior? You don't think that God cares that you as a Christian are backslidden and away from God? God cares about every detail. We have 203 bones in our body. We have 600 muscles. Some of you discovered a few while raking leaves recently. We have 970 miles of blood vessels running through our bodies, taking oxygen and nutrients and, 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 and water to the various tissues of our skin so that we can be healthy. 
We have 600 million air cells taking air into our lungs as we breathe. We have over 4,000 taste buds on our tongue so that we can discern between bitter and sweet and sour. We have 10,000 hairs inside each one of our ears. This should be an encouragement to some of you men. Some of you, your wife married you for the waves. Now all that's left is the beach, but it's okay. It's okay. You've got 10,000 hairs inside your ear. Like someone said, this is not a bald spot. It's a solar panel. <laughs> Maybe that'll work for you. But they tell me if just one of those little hairs inside your ear becomes damaged, your hearing's impaired. We have 3,500 sweat tubes for every square inch of skin on our body. Now, those of you that are single should be taking notes. You need to write these facts down because when you start dating, you run out of things to say. And, and there's, there's awkward silence. You know, you think, oh, it'll be no problem. And about 30 seconds into that first date, it just goes quiet. And you need facts. You need, you need filler material. You need to write this down. Because when you get stuck in that awkward silence, you can just look over at the other person and say, those are the most beautiful sweat tubes I've ever seen in my life. But the truth is, it's those sweat tubes, though as gross as that sounds, it is those sweat tubes that allow our skin to breathe, that allows us to adjust to various temperatures and climates and even altitudes. We breathe in 4,200 gallons of air every day. Our heart beats 2,400 times every hour and pumps 12 tons of blood through our body every day. And you don't have to think about it. You don't get up in the morning and say, i got to breathe 4,000 I mean, you don't think about it. You just live. The only time you think about your body is when it breaks down and you're sick. God just keeps it all going because of the details that he has paid attention to. And my friend, he knows you. He loves you. He sees your prayer requests. He sees your burdens. He sees your needs. He knows the number in your checking account. He knows what's there. He cares. Because God is above all. But God is aware of all. But I'm also thankful for these last three verses. Because in verses 29 to 31, we understand that God is able to do all. Look at verse 29. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. God is not only above all and and aware of all, but God is able to do all. (laughs) I love Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God. Thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thy stretched out arm, and there's nothing too hard for thee. You believe that? Nothing too hard for the Lord. You know, God came to Abraham and Sarah one day. Abraham was 99 years old. Abraham uh, Abraham was 99, Sarah was 90. And God came to them one day in Genesis 18. He said, you're going to have a son. (laughs) And Abraham and Sarah laughed. They said, God, it's too late. I mean, I know you promised us a son, but, but we're old. 
We're well stricken in age. We're past the age of bearing children. Okay? Biologically, it was impossible. And they said, God, it's too late. And verse 14, God looked at them and he said, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I love Genesis 21 and verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. And Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son at the set time of which God had spoken to him. See, with men it was impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. And when God makes a statement like that, he puts an exclamation point at the end of it. Abraham and Sarah did have a son. His name was Isaac. And we read a few chapters on, and Isaac grows and goes through some things in his life. And at age 40, Isaac's mother, Sarah, dies. Chapter 24. Sarah dies. And Isaac, this 40-year-old young man, is crushed. He's heartbroken. His mother has passed away. And Abraham observes this, and he realizes that Isaac needs a wife. There's a hole in his heart. Emotionally, there's a loss. And so Abraham sends his servant to go find a wife for Isaac. Genesis 24 is a beautiful love story. As the servant goes, and he finds Rebekah, and he brings Rebekah home to Isaac. And the last part of that chapter tells us how it was love at first sight. And Isaac and Rebekah are married in the last verse, verse 67. It's a long love story. The last verse, the Bible says, Isaac is comforted upon the death of his mother because of Rebekah. So do a little math with me. When Isaac was born, Sarah was 90. Abraham was 99. So Sarah dies 40 years later. At the age of 130, 40 plus 90, 130, Abraham at that point would be 139. We turn the page to chapter 25, verse 1. Abraham gets remarried to Keturah. And verse 2 says he has six more kids. You talk about an exclamation point at the end of, I can do anything. I mean, at 99, it's impossible, God. You're crazy. We're past the age of bearing children. God says, watch what I can do. And you know, sometimes we look at our lives, we think, Lord, this is impossible. We can't do this. There's no use even trying. I mean, this is, this is way beyond what can be done. I mean, this prayer request is too hard. This, this difficulty is, is too big of a mountain. I, I, I can't do it. But with God, he's able to do all. Listen, you're not too hard for God to save. People say, well, I, I've just done a lot of bad things. I've just, I've just gone so far away from God. I don't think God would want me. I don't think God could ever save me. I, I've committed some terrible sins. I, I, I've never been very religious. I've never gone to church much. I don't think God would want me. You know what my Bible says in Hebrews 7.25? That God is able to save them to the uttermost, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. 
Listen, friend, you may have a mother that's praying for you, and you may have a pastor that's praying for you, but you have a God in heaven who's praying for you to be saved. God can save you. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God can save you. Christian, we get good at making excuses about our lives. Well, I can't. I can't get victory over that sin. I mean, it's just a bad habit, and it's always been plaguing me. I've, I've tried to go forward. I've tried to make a decision about it, but it just keeps coming back. It's just my besetting sin, I guess. It's just who I am, and it's, you know, you should have met my dad. He was just like this, too, and I just can't get victory. But the Bible says there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that he may be able to bear it? Listen, Christian, there is no reason for us to walk out that door today not right with God. He's able to do all. We say, well, I just don't think I can take that step. I, you know, pastor's been talking to me about getting baptized now that I'm saved. He's been talking to me about maybe joining the church. He's been talking to me about maybe helping out in the ministry here. Uh, young people might think, I don't know if I could ever serve the Lord with my life. I mean, it's just, it just doesn't look possible. It, it looks too hard. The Bible says, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Because God is able to do all. So why don't we trust him? If God is above all and aware of all and able to do all, then why do we doubt God? Why, 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 do, we, why do we complain to God? Why, 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 do we, why do we forsake God? Why don't we trust him? Why don't we follow him? Why don't we yield to him? Why don't we serve him? We have a great God. We sang about him today. We see him in his word. But how will we live for him as we go out those doors in a moment? Is he really God in our life? We may have the right definition. But are we living that definition? Is God truly alive in your life? Or is God dead? in your life. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.